Yes. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll About a Girl is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Let me tell you about Calvin Brodus, or as he's been known in various forms since the day he was born, Snoop Dogg. When it comes to West Coast rap, he didn't just up the game. He practically invented it with a laid-back melodic flow that grabbed listeners from his first appearance on Dr. Dre's The Chronic. A former drug dealer who became a star even before his debut album was released, Snoop's career was nearly derailed by the violence of the Long Beach streets where he grew up. Instead, he avoided disaster to become an unlikely cultural icon, from starring in the Super Bowl halftime show to swapping recipes with BFF Martha Stewart. But this story isn't about Snoop Dogg. This is about Shante Brodus, his wife of nearly 30 years, the mother of three children, and his manager, For years, she acted as an unofficial advisor, confidant, fashion consultant, and more to Snoop as he shot to stardom. But despite her crucial role, she thought of herself strictly as a wife and mother. Short-statured but strong-willed and bluntly honest, she earned her nickname The Boss Lady from Snoop in the early days of their relationship. But as she would learn, you have to pay the cost if you want to be the boss. And for Shantae, that would mean surviving a wild ride of drugs, celebrity, infidelity, murder trials, and even worse, Instagram before she could claim the title officially. I'm Nikki Lynette, and this story is about a girl. The door swung open and instantly the packed courtroom fell silent. Twelve pairs of footsteps echoed across the cavernous room as the jurors filed into their seats for the final time. The bailiff stood to call the court to order and Shantae held her breath. She thought of her 18-month-old baby boy at home. She was about to find out if he would grow up without a father. A few rows ahead of her sat the man in question. Calvin Brodus to the judge and the prosecutor... But to everyone else, he was Snoop Dogg, 
1996, the hottest rapper on the planet. Snoop and his bodyguard were on trial for murder. Two and a half years earlier, Snoop was on a meteoric rise from small-time drug dealer to the top of the hip-hop charts. He was still tied up in the gang culture that dominated the Long Beach neighborhoods where he and Shantae grew up. And now that Snoop was a star, he was an easy target. On an August afternoon, a simple trip to the convenience store provoked a confrontation with a member of a rival crew. Shots were fired, and when the smoke cleared, a body lay dead in the street. Snoop and his bodyguard claimed self-defense, but the prosecution argued otherwise. Now, more than two years later, the jury was about to have their say. Shantae looked at Snoop. As usual, his face was blank, his emotions hidden. She knew behind that empty expression, words were flowing through his mind. His flow was the one constant since she first spotted him in the hallways of Long Beach Polytechnic High School, freestyling with his best friend Warren G and cousin Nate Dog. They were just fooling around, banging on lockers and spitting rhymes. But it was clear they had something going when the crowd around them grew so big that the principal came running, thinking a fight was breaking out. As the crowd dispersed, Snoop asked Shantae to prom. She was thrilled. When he showed up at her house in a tux, she swooned. His easygoing charm even won over her mom. When he wrapped his long arms around her for the obligatory prom pic, she was already falling for him. In the photo, she beamed while Snoop held a tough face. Even still, Shantae could sense the sweetness underneath. After prom was over, Reality intruded on Snoop and Shantae's teenage dream. If Snoop had his way, he'd smoke weed every day and sit on the corner and freestyle. But that didn't bring in money. The quickest way for a teenage boy to do that in Long Beach was to sell crack and bring in the money it did. But it was dangerous work, even apart from the violence. It was hard to spot every undercover cop, something Snoop learned just a month after graduation when he was busted. Instead of freestyling on the corner, Snoop would spend most of the next three years freestyling for his fellow inmates at Wayside Jail. Shantae kept in touch with him when she could. She saw him when he was out, which wasn't often. And she was just about ready to move on when she came home from work one evening to find him leaning on the chain link fence. He was fresh off a four month stint for a parole violation and was looking even skinnier than usual. But he was smiling. He said he had some news. Last year, in one of Snoop's rare stretches as a free man, he made a tape with Warren and Nate. The year prior, Warren's stepfather, Andre, a.k.a. Dr. Dre, had skyrocketed to stardom with his group NWA. And Warren thought if they could get Dre to hear Snoop's flow on tape, he might produce them. They cut the demo in the back of a record store, and when they finished, Warren couldn't wait to play it for Dre. But Snoop shuddered at the idea of the producer putting a critical ear to their raw recording. Dre seemed equally uninterested in the younger crew, but Warren eventually wore him down one night at a bachelor party. Dre ignored the tape at first, but in the laid-back, soft-spoken flow of Warren's friend, he heard a potential diamond in the rough. Snoop told Shantae that Dr. Dre called him earlier that day and told him he was working on something big. N.W.A. was over, and Dre was forming his own label, Death Row Records, and recording a solo album. 
Did Snoop want to get in on the ground floor? The only catch was, without a traditional record label, there was no advance money, and Snoop, fresh out of jail, was flat broke. Snoop wasn't happy about it, but he told her he'd probably have to hit the corner again, for a little while at least. He confessed he was worried about getting popped, of course, but he didn't know what else to do. Shantae looked at him in disbelief. Snoop, she teased him. You are the worst drug dealer in the world. Do not go back out on the street. You are definitely going to get popped. Well, he asked, what am I going to do instead? The words came out before she had a chance to think. What you're going to do is be broke. You're going to live in that studio. You're going to be there in the morning when Dre wakes up. You're going to be there at night when everybody's out at the club. If Dre's got half a beat, you're going to be ready with a rhyme, a line, click your tongue, something. Oh, and you're going to let me cook you dinner because you look like hell. Snoop paused and blinked his eyes as he took it all in. He thought for a moment. Okay, boss lady, he said, and they started laughing. He wrapped his arms around her. Shit, girl, he said. Did you just become my manager? She laughed. But she thought, maybe I did. Snoop's hard work in the studio paid off that year when he was featured all over Dre's instant classic, The Chronic. As a result, Snoop's Dre-produced release Doggy Style was one of the most highly anticipated rap debuts of the year, even before the infamy around the shooting cranked the hype to another level. After the August shooting, it simply became one of the most hyped debuts ever. Eager fans waited for months, and when it finally came out in November of 1993, with possible murder charges still swirling around Snoop and his bodyguard, Doggy Style immediately hit number one. That same month, Shantae found out she was going to have their baby. Now, here in the courtroom, they would finally find out if Snoop would spend his life in jail and if Shantae would raise their son alone, or if he would resume his budding career. While the judge intoned on and on, Shantae stared at the back of Snoop's gray pinstripe Versace suit, such a contrast to the purple and gold Lakers sweats he wore to the first hearing. Thank God he let her talk him into the suit before the trial started. The way she saw it, America could tolerate a gangster, but not a gangbanger. Perhaps it made a difference, because the jury delivered verdicts of not guilty for both Snoop and his bodyguard. Pandemonium broke out in the courtroom. Tears rolled down Shantae's cheek, and Snoop pressed his hands and his face in relief as the words sunk in. After the trial, Snoop and Shantae stepped back from their old neighborhood, both figuratively and literally. They bought a 5,000-square-foot house in upscale Claremont, In the press, Snoop talked about how becoming a father changed him. He worked with older musicians like Gap Band lead singer Charlie Wilson to broaden his appeal. He transitioned his look from gangster to godfather. He took some heat for the change, but when The Dogfather came out in late 1996, it also debuted at number one and cemented Snoop as a bankable artist. Snoop and Shantae celebrated by getting married in the summer.
Shante and Snoop were cuddled up in the back of the limo, his arm draped around her. As the car pulled up the circle drive, Shante could see the tastefully lit interior of Charlie Wilson's ranch house, just as she'd planned it. She made a mental note that the pop-up tents were out of place and would have to be moved before the ceremony so the crowd would be in the shot. But everything else looked great. The ceremony was a surprise renewal of their wedding vows on their 10th anniversary. It wasn't really their 10th anniversary, and it wasn't really a surprise, considering Shante helped plan it. It was 2008, and the ceremony was being filmed for a new reality show about their family life, so she wasn't leaving anything to chance. Relieved that everything was more or less in shape, she leaned back against Snoop's wiry frame and let herself relax in the warmth of his embrace for a moment. The limo pulled to a stop and their host, Charlie and Maheen, waved hello. When Shante and Snoop first met the singer and his wife, they thought their relationship was bizarre. When Charlie had met Maheen, it was because he was a crack addict and she was his counselor. Now, as a couple, they spent nearly every waking minute together, something Shante couldn't fathom. Maheen made a questionable impression on Snoop as well when she insisted he put out a freshly lit blunt heat sparked up in front of her sober husband. Snoop was so shocked, he complied, and despite the occasional grumbling, he continued to honor the request whenever Charlie was around, a testament to his love and respect for the elder musician's legacy. Over the years, the couple won over Snoop and Shante, and now they considered them friends and mentors. Maheen was Charlie's manager, and Charlie encouraged Snoop to open his life and business to Shante, which Snoop was starting to do. It was a dynamic Shante could not have imagined just a few years earlier, when they nearly divorced. Back in 2004, Snoop's star had never burned brighter. Following a reunion with Dr. Dre for the Chronic sequel 2001, and a hit of his own with Pharrell, Snoop was suddenly everywhere. He recorded a song with the Pussycat Dolls. He did a cameo on King of the Hill. As an actor, he racked up appearances in everything from Denzel Washington's gritty, crooked cop flick Training Day to slapstick comedies like Soul Plane. Shantae knew what it meant to be the wife of a rapper, but she was totally unprepared to be the wife of a celebrity. In the rap world, there had always been women on the road or at the video shoots, and she could overlook a certain amount of indiscretions as part of the job. But something about Snoop's new fame was different. These women were more brazen, more aggressive, and they were gorgeous. Growing up, Shantae was always a looker, but now there were literally Playboy bunnies and fashion models hanging around her husband. Sometimes she felt like she couldn't compete. Telling a magazine, I know it's hard on him. It's hard on me too, and I'm just his wife. He's the one that's actually the star. What bothered Shantae even more were the changes she noticed within Snoop. The women and the drugs and the huge entourage were inflating his ego to epic proportions. When she tried to call him on anything, he just tuned her out. Without Shantae as his sounding board, he was becoming a caricature of himself. As a former dealer, she felt like Snoop should know the rule. Don't get high on your own supply. 
it applied to fame and drugs equally well. Snoop continued hitting the road, dressing as a pimp on stage, and allegedly acting as one in real life, while Shantae was raising their now three kids at home. During his trial, she had been so worried her baby would grow up without a father. Now it was happening anyway. Even in the rare stretches where Snoop was home for more than a day or two, he was restless and agitated. He might shoot hoops or watch cartoons with the kids for a few minutes, but then he would be up pacing the floor, tapping out messages on his phone. Then he'd pick up his keys and head out the door. Sometimes he'd come back later that night. Sometimes they might not see him for a week. But Shantae stuck with him through it all. She didn't have much of a choice. She may have been Snoop's closest confidant during his rise to fame, but the fact was that everything, even the power bill, was in his name. So it shocked and scared her when Snoop finally filed for divorce in May 2004. After all she had put up with, he was trying to divorce her? She had built her life around supporting him, but didn't know if he could be counted on to do the same when it came to her and the kids. Even worse, Snoop rubbed salt in the wound by celebrating the single life with a new single. Drop It Like It's Hot would go on to become the biggest hit of his career. At that low point, she never could have imagined this moment in 2008, renewing their commitment to each other in front of 200 of their closest friends and family, even if it was for TV. Charlie opened the limo door and welcomed them with his usual boisterous greeting. Shantae caught sight of all three kids, Corday, Cordell, and their daughter Corey, the youngest. Tonight, she was a typical eight-year-old, exuberant and full of energy, zipping around between her parents and joking with her older brothers. It gave Shantae such joy to see her doing well. It was Corey who truly brought her and Snoop back together. Two years earlier, Shantae noticed some white spots on Corey's hands and face, and then she watched in horror over the next week as her hair began falling out in clumps. She called Snoop. He didn't call back until the next day, but when she told him what was going on, he was on the first flight back home. Shantae cried while Snoop sat stone-faced, while the doctors explained they didn't know what was wrong. They came back to their house in Claremont together. In bed, Snoop held her while she sobbed herself to sleep. Shantae didn't know it at the time, but Snoop had recently been recording again with Charlie Wilson, who had become a regular part of Snoop's studio band since 1996. Snoop's first call to Charlie had been out of pity. After leading the Gap Band to a string of hits and creating some of the foundational sounds for West Coast rap, by the early 90s, Charlie's crack addiction had reduced him to panhandling for drug money at convenience stores, which is where Snoop first saw him. He was about to press a $100 bill into the musician's palm, but he thought studio work might be a better way to help him out. When Charlie showed up for the first session, his skin was covered with scabs and cuts. His hair was falling out. His voice was practically shut. But Snoop valued the way he could arrange music on the fly, and he loved hearing stories about the Gap Band. Soon after the sessions, Charlie went into rehab, 
and there he met Mahin. She was tough, no nonsense, and after a few relapses by Charlie, she went with him everywhere to make sure he stayed clean. Snoop resented her presence in the studio at first, but he quickly saw she wasn't there to get in the way. She only wanted to help Charlie, and he couldn't argue with the results. Charlie was looking great. His skin was clear and his hair had grown back and his voice was sounding better than ever. Then Charlie worked on Snoop. He encouraged him to get back with his wife, to get his family in order. It was the only way to survive this business, Charlie said. Snoop blew him off at first, but as someone who had written to fame and crashed back to earth, it was hard to ignore his advice completely. Charlie's words were surely on Snoop's mind as he and Shantae worked together to find a diagnosis for their daughter. Eventually, the doctors discovered Corey had a rare case of juvenile lupus. The disease was no picnic, but at least they knew what they were fighting. The spark between them that had nearly been extinguished began to slowly burn again. It had taken nearly four years, but now they were here together ready to renew their vows in a ceremony stage-managed to perfection. When Charlie started singing a new song he wrote for the occasion, the tears were real, though. Snoop reached down and slid his arm around her. They both smiled. He kissed her on the top of the head. It felt like they had survived a test. It felt like they were heading into the future stronger and more united than ever. Shantae sat in the living room of the Claremont house she and Snoop had called home for more than 20 years. It was a few days before Christmas 2019, and Snoop was wrapping up the last few tour dates of the year. Their kids hadn't yet returned home for the holiday, so the house felt emptier than usual. She picked up her phone to check her messages and then opened Instagram. She saw a string of notifications for posts tagging her account. She tapped on one and pulled up the post. It was a screenshot of a video from a woman named Selena Powell, who over the past year made a string of claims, some real and some not, about encounters with various rap stars, including Snoop. It didn't take long to find the latest video. Shantae's stomach clenched as she listened to Selena make a new series of salacious allegations. She talked in graphic detail about having sex with Snoop about how he flew her out to California, about how he snorted cocaine off her body, about how he paid her hush money. Shantae was furious. She was furious at Selena Powell. For the last year, this woman would not leave her family alone. In any pic of Shantae and Snoop posted online, she would be there lurking in the comments, taunting Shantae, starting drama, and reveling in her own infamy. Shantae was even more furious at Snoop. Even if every one of her claims were lies, Snoop's radar must be slipping if he let such an obvious clout chaser anywhere near him. The timing was especially horrible. Snoop had just released a gospel album called Bible of Love and was trying to work his way into the church crowd, much in the same way they had done so successfully with the reggae crowd on the album Reincarnation a few years before but this scandal was making it a lot harder to sell. 
In the decades since they renewed their vows, Snoop had more or less stayed strong in his commitment to the family. His career was still busy, but he carved out more time to spend at home. And when he was there, he genuinely seemed at peace, joking around with the kids or shooting hoops with them outside on the backyard court. He got involved in coaching football and basketball teams. He got in touch with his domestic side after sparking an unlikely friendship with Martha Stewart. And he even started cooking some around the house, although he would deny it if his friends came by. Shantae knew that there were still other women. She knew the pitfalls of fame. The temptation still lurked around every corner. If he spent too much time on the road or his schedule filled up with too many events, or if his eyes were looking hazier than usual, Shantae would feel him start drifting away again. 20 years ago, when he first shot to superstardom, Shantae had watched it happen, and she almost hadn't been able to bring him back to his senses. But 20 years ago, she didn't have social media. Ever since their reality show first introduced her to audiences, Shantae has slowly built up her own brand under the banner of the nickname Snoop had first given her, Boss Lady Entertainment. She had millions of followers, and if she felt she needed to put her husband on blast in a very public way, she could do it with the tap of a button. That usually got his attention fast and got his mind back focused on where it should be, his career and his family. She had done it before. In 2016, after she heard too many rumors about Snoop and some dancers at a video shoot, she tapped a cryptic but pointed message. What is a queen without a king? Well, historically speaking, more powerful. It took him less than 24 hours to come crawling back to her, apologetic and eager to please. This situation was clearly going to call for a response of some sort from her. But what? She picked up her phone. She put it back down. She paced back and forth in the living room. She tapped out a message and erased it. She entered another one. She made a few changes and tapped share. It read, You ever watch somebody you love turn into somebody you don't know? She put her phone down. She knew he would see it in minutes. She expected that she would hear from him within the hour. 45 minutes later, her phone rang. It was Snoop on the other line. He denied everything, but mostly just listened while she let him have it. After laying into him for the better part of an hour, she eventually agreed to let him come home for Christmas. Still, she wasn't in a forgiving mood just yet. She felt like he needed to work for it, which he did. He posted heartfelt tributes to her online. He bought her a flawlessly restored 1966 Ford Mustang GT for her birthday. The tributes were nice, and the car was amazing. Hell, it was gorgeous, but she didn't need another gift. What she really wanted was for Snoop to finally follow through on Charlie Wilson's advice and give her the keys to his career. The time seemed right for Snoop to finally make her his manager, officially. These days, his portfolio was huge with music tours, film productions, merch lines, cannabis and spirits, and more. Shantae wasn't proposing they spend every minute together like Charlie and Maheen. She knew they were never going to have that type of relationship. But it was time he let her run the show behind the scenes. 
There was no one else in the world better prepared for the job, and there was still no one he trusted more to tell him the truth, especially when he didn't want to hear it. Snoop hesitated for a bit, but in the end, she won him over, just like she knew she would. On June 9th, 2021, they put out a press release that made it official. She was Shante Brodis, wife, mother, and manager of one of the biggest artists on the planet. Shantae stepped away from the crowd in the VIP box to look out over the stadium on a gorgeous Super Bowl Sunday in Los Angeles. The box was packed with friends, family, a camera crew, and a few assistants to help keep her on schedule on this massively busy day as she needed just a moment to take it all in before the set began. Even though he'd been a star for decades... It was still hard to fathom that Snoop was performing in the Super Bowl halftime show. In just a few moments, the music of their neighborhood would be blaring from the speakers for the whole world to hear. Shantae watched as the seconds on the clock clicked down to zero. The refs blew their whistles and players started jogging off the field. From the production schedule, Shantae knew the performance would start in exactly 12 minutes. She was glad Snoop was the one going on stage. Right now, she had butterflies like she was about to go up there herself. She took one last deep breath before she headed back into the box and found Corey, who she embraced in a big hug. Can you believe this is happening, Shantae asked, her eyes wide. Yes, for the thousandth time, Mom. I can believe this is happening. Corey rolled her eyes, but she smiled back. The moments ticked away as Shantae watched the stage crew rushing around in a flurry of motion to put the set together. She watched as miniature versions of familiar buildings popped up on the field. She recognized spots like Tam's Burgers, where she and Snoop had eaten so many times as teenagers, as well as the recording studio where Snoop and Dre first started grinding on The Chronic. Twelve minutes passed by in a flash. Shantae was on pins and needles as the lights finally dropped. A rumbling bass line blared from the speakers, and then the first few staccato notes of the next episode. Dre and Snoop emerged from a cloud of smoke, and the crowd roared. Shantae felt a surge of pride as she saw her husband, her client, prowling the stage. Shantae thought Dre looked stiff, and 50 Cent bloated, but Snoop seemed as agile and smooth as a boxer in the rain. He grabbed the mic and let loose that effortless laid-back flow that made him a star. He sounded as good as ever. But this isn't about Snoop Dogg. This is about Shantae Brodis, wife, mother, manager, and boss lady, who kept one of the most iconic and durable artists of the rap era on track. This is About a Girl. About a Girl is produced by Scott Janovitz and executive produced by Jake Brennan and Brady Sattler for Double Elvis. The show was created by Eleanor Wells and hosted by me, Nikki Lynette. This episode was written by Patrick Coleman. For sources used in this episode, go to aboutagirlpod.com. Music by Scott Janovitz and Matt Tahaney, with additional music and score elements by Ryan Spraker. 
The show is on Instagram at aboutagirlpod. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nikki Lynette.